You're listening to the Coronavirus Marketing Series on the Growth Manifesto podcast, a Zoom video series brought to you by Web Profits, where we talk about how to drive marketing and business success through the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, we interview Craig Davis, co-founder at Sendor, advisor at KPMG High Growth Ventures, and adjunct professor at the UTS School of Business. So let's get into it. Yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast. We're living in interesting times. I'll just do a quick intro for you and then we'll get into it. Today we're speaking to Craig Davis. He's a co-founder of Sendal. Um, he's an advisor for the KPMG High Growth Ventures Arm. Plus also like an adjunct professor at the UTS School of Business. And how did that come up just quickly? Because uh, how do you become an adjunct professor? I don't really remember, Alex. I think when I came back to Australia a few years ago, I uh, was introduced to the Dean of the Business School and he seemed to think it was a good idea. So I think it's about that simple. That's great. Um, yeah. That's great. I mean, I'd love to get one of those. Yeah. Like if there's any people out there, um, you know, that are offering them up, please <laughs> let me know. I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah. But like in all seriousness now, um, if this is a series that we're trying um, to help business owners across the world to handle this extremely challenging situation that we all find ourselves in. You know, like I just saw the news last night um, that the Prime Minister of Australia um, has confirmed that um, the lockdown is going to continue on for like at least another month. And that's assuming that there are specific things that have to be put into place. And so we've already been in this thing for almost like a month now. It's another month that's about to happen. A lot of businesses are just struggling across the board. They're devastated, right? There's a few that are doing well. And there's a few that have adapted, but the majority are kind of stuck. And so, you know, this is kind of a conversation um, to help the stuck people, but also to help um, the companies that are just looking for kind of some inspiration and some positivity, like in this extremely challenging time. Yeah. But I figured because you have so many parts um, and so many kind of areas where you have expertise, right? Um, and you're seeing this kind of unfold through like a number of different uh, like lenses, right? Because you've got like the co-founder lens and then you've got the advisor lens and I'm sure um, the network that uh, um, the network of um, kind of entrepreneurs uh, that you probably have like around you kind of have like a third lens. And what are you seeing Yeah, like in, in terms of um, the Sendle lens, yeah? Because obviously it seems like for Sendle, this would be going up, right? Like this is probably a good time for Sendle. Is that true or not? Yeah, look, Alex, it's, a, it's an excellent question. Uh, if I could start, I'll answer it from, from um, slightly earlier in the question, which is Please. kind of what's going on. Um, yeah. And like the honest answer is, I don't know. And I don't think anybody knows. And I don't think anybody has any kind of uh, crystal ball here. So there are so many unknowns. And I think what, what, um, what we all need to do is deal with kind of what's in front of us and make uh, look at data and, and, and make intelligent, hopefully intelligent guesses. Um, as far as Sandal's concerned, the business is going, yes, very well. There's a major shift to e-commerce. And I think that a lot of that, shift will stick so there's me making a bit of a prediction but i think mm. that um uh, for a lot of people it's sort of their introduction to e-commerce so it's not a new thing of course yeah, but for a lot for of sure. people they've been 
fond of going to the shops, buying things from traditional sources and buying things online is something they haven't really done before. I think, you know, now that everybody's doing it, um, a lot of that behaviour will change on a permanent basis. Um, and who knows when shops um, are going to reopen, bricks and mortar shops are going to reopen um, and, and how the behaviour will shift back with that. Um, so I'm just going to ask you um, pretty direct questions. Ask, like, if I ask you anything that's kind of uncomfortable, that you just say, look, no, like I prefer just, just to not share, but I'm going to ask the questions that everyone kind of wants to know and um, you feel free um, to either answer or don't answer right? <laughs> um, that's up to you. But you're seeing kind of e-commerce from the lens of the shipping companies, right? And so you actually get to see or to feel the volume, the change in volume. What are you seeing in terms of that volume at the moment? You know, like since this whole thing started, like is it? Yes, please. Yeah, look, it's it's ramped up pretty significantly. So in the in the US, the team launched in the US um, on Black Friday, big retail day in the US. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that was the beginning of Sendle as a service in the US market. Um, That's good timing and, for now, I guess, because. You know? Yeah, and look, and, and all these things, um, you know, uh, nobody knew what was coming along and, um, and certainly not us. Um, but the business is going very well there. It's well ahead of forecast. Um, and then since January, the business has grown um, pretty, in pretty spectacular fashion, both here and in, uh, and in the US. So, you know, there are some companies that are... Uh, essentially beneficiaries of this crisis um and you know that's that's wonderful um but let's not forget that it's a crisis and it's not wonderful at all and it's really uh challenging or, or catastrophic for a lot of people and there's a lot to deal with um so you know here and there zoom and slack you know online tools we're using zoom right now i'm sure yeah. if we were doing this Three months ago, two months ago, I would have been in a studio with you. Yes, and, exactly. You know, and so everyone's having to learn to work remotely, all those sorts of things. And there are businesses that are arrayed around those kinds of shifts that are going to do well out of this. Um, but I think for the most part, it's just very challenging. And even in businesses that are in a position to do quite well in these circumstances, I think it's still nevertheless challenging. There's still, you know, there's still the rest of your life that is, you know, that is going on. Um, yeah. To work in different circumstances, you've got you've possibly got financial pressures that you didn't have, even if your business is doing okay. Because in order to manage through this crisis, um, I think most businesses are well advised to to really look after their cash uh, and to minimize minimize their their costs wherever they can. And if you're a startup, to minimize your burn rate. Yeah, it feels like um, there's two parts of um, the pie right now, right? Or t two pieces of the puzzle um, where like either like it's going extremely well for you and so you have some cash flow issues, right? Because you shouldn't be growing too fast. You know, that's what they say, right? Um, but then there's also on the other side that, 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 that like it's not going well for you and so there's cash flow issues, right? And so I think that at the, kind of like at the center of all this is like a lot of challenges around the cash flow side of things, you know? And I think um, it's ch challenging on the two fronts. But I did see, um, was it the other day, that Amazon can't handle even the demand in orders. 
you know, like that's kind of how much of a shift has happened in terms of e-commerce, right? Where there's, there's so many people trying to buy stuff that even Amazon that has the most advanced uh, logistics, I think of any organization is only prioritizing the essential items now across their websites. That's Amazon, you know? So what kind of demand is out there where a company like Amazon can't even fulfill it? Well, all those things that people liked to buy themselves and now they're buying online, <clears throat> excuse me, um, out of necessity. And, in, and I would say out of necessity and for some people now out of choice now that they have a taste of the convenience and they've got over some trust issues around e-commerce and, you know, how can, am I going to get scammed here? Can I rely on things that I buy on marketplaces or that I buy from Amazon? Um, and so the demand, and there'll be good data around this pretty soon, I mm. think, yep. because of one of the great advantages of e-commerce and online businesses is always a, there's always plenty of data. So I think that um, uh, the NAB produce an online retail index in this market. I think that comes out monthly. Um, I think, you know, that'll be visible soon. You'll see there'll be a massive uptick um, in, in, in those things and, and even in payment methods around that too. So people like Afterpay, 80% of their business is in online purchases. Um, and even though their share price has bounced around and they're constantly providing market updates, I think what it does indicate is there's a lot of, there's plenty of indications of a lot of activity. So shipping is one, transaction volume is another. So people like Stripe who are handling uh, online payments, I'm sure their business is booming as well. And of course the giants like Amazon so um, and eBay. I'm sure they're both doing very well. So I'm, we'll see numbers in the next few weeks that will confirm all that. I'm pretty confident. Yeah, right. Um, and are you seeing kind of like, like any specific industries that are just like a lot more successful than others in terms of e, I mean, in terms of e-commerce online shopping? Because you probably have industries across the board where you're like, wow, that's interesting that that one is performing so well where this one is not. Is there anything which you can share in terms of that? Yeah, again, because I know there's... this is all really interesting, you know, like trying yeah. to understand this. Um, the yeah, there's, there's data around this too. Actually, there's, uh, there's some Australian data that was published a, a couple of weeks ago or maybe a week ago. It's hard. Actually, time is one of the things that's become very elastic. Um, it has, hasn't it? It's I, really I think, interesting. You know, I it's really interesting for so long and so short at the same time. So I said, I said two weeks ago, it's probably only a week ago. <laughs> could have been four days ago. <laughs> it could have been. Yeah. And there was, some, there was some data out of the US um, even more recently than that. And some of the things that are doing quite well um, are people in the sort of beauty and cosmetic space. So that's, um, that's an area that's doing well. Obviously, you know, things, anything that's travel related is doing badly. Mm. At this point, um, uh, alcohol is doing well. You know, there's a thing. I've got some friends who are actually um, in the in the beauty and cosmetic space and the skin skincare space, and they were telling me about the lipstick lipstick index, which is a, a phenomenon that's been around through a few crises. Okay, um, and that actually lipstick sales often go up in times of chaos and uncertainty. Um, and I think the psychology is that, well, there's a lot of things I can't do, but one thing I can do is I can take care of myself. Um, and so cosmetics is something that, that, that quite often um, in a crisis does okay. 
Yep. Um, but clothing is, is um, not doing so well because people don't feel the need to dress up. You're not going out. You're not, you know, mm. having to impress anyone. You're not having to put on your sort of professional outfit yeah, um, sure. to go to work. So clothing sales are um, not typically that great at the moment. Yeah, so I was thinking about actually, like I was like, should I wear a shirt for this or should I just wear, wear a proper T-shirt? I figured, I mean, everyone is in you know, like these t-shirts now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. I think, I think the basic question each day is pajamas or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think because of the amount of video calls, it's like pajama bottoms or not, <laughs> you know? Um, now that's really interesting. Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting shift that's happening. I believe right now where like we were already heading towards, um, the digital revolution, yeah, like it started in 2000 or whatever it was. Um, I'm that old now that I basically, but I can remember the boom and the bust, you know, um, and I thought I kind of like had, um, had missed the wave. Yeah, I started like back in t- 2003 or whatever it was. And I was like, oh no, you know, like it's already now past. It's now 2020 and it's almost just starting again now, but it's, but it's such a big immediate shift that's happening right now. Um, and I know that as um, the advisor of um, the KPMG High Growth Ventures, you're probably having quite a lot of conversations about this at the moment. Is that correct? Yeah, I, look, I think, I think there's lots of shifts that are going on at the moment, Alex. And again, I, um, I say this because it's just my point of view. It doesn't mean that I'm right. And again, I'm trying not to prognosticate, but um, I think one of the big shifts is that kind of all bets are off. And a lot of the things that were working well for you may not work well from now on. So, so, so profound is the change, I think. Um, Now you can look at that as being um, intimidating and threatening, or you can look at that, and I would advise everyone to look at it this way uh, with, a, with a kind of a positive and open and optimistic mindset. It's a chance to rethink a lot of the, a lot of the bits of your business. So what I'm, what I'm saying here is, um, you know, I, I shift back to first principles. So whether it's digital or not, digital or analog, yeah. I think is less significant than um, uh, taking the time and taking this opportunity to go back to first principles. And what I mean by that is, Mm. you know, what's your product like? So the product that got you to where you are may not get you to where you need to get to. And, um, and there's a lot of businesses that have had kind of mediocre products and that's been okay. You can get away with it. If you've got a mediocre product, but brilliant marketing, for example, you might be able to skate away with that right now. Um, my advice would be to go back to your product and have a really hard look at it and challenge all your own assumptions. And, you know, one of the things that I spent a lot of time in the startup space and one of the things about startups is that, you know, they're, they're always living with an existential crisis. You know, they are by nature, they're bootstrapped. So they're spending, you know, uh, money that, that the founders have saved and there's only so much of that, or maybe they've raised some investment and now you're accountable to a whole bunch of other people and they don't give it away for nothing. And uh, there's very high expectations 
that are attached to any level of investment. Yep. And so you need to, um, in, in startups, you're constantly having to examine your product and you're trying to figure out whether your product is good enough to take to market. And that's a, you know, it's a very high bar. And so for a lot of businesses that have been around for a while, I think they need to ask those same questions. Is my product or my service, is it really good enough to, for this market? Does it fit the needs of the market now because those needs have changed? Um, and the best way to navigate all this uncertainty is to, is to totally double down on your customer understanding. What do you know about customers? What's important to customers? And, and let go of um, your own preferences in that. Not, not what you want to be important to customers, but what actually matters to them. And so, yeah, it, that's, a very, that's a very tough test and they're very hard questions to ask and, uh, and genuinely um, have an open mind when you hear the answers. Because often people are gonna say, they're gonna call your baby ugly. And you've got to be prepared to hear that publicly. And you've got to decide. And they'll all like that, that comment, won't they? <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a great, there's a great kind of rule of thumb about product market fit in early stage businesses, but I think yes. this applies to all businesses. And, you know, if you ask people, um, you know, indirectly say through a survey and, and you said, look, how, if, if my product went away tomorrow, how would you feel about it? and you, your choices were very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, or don't really mind, unless you've got about at least 30% of people saying they would be very disappointed, then you wouldn't take that product to market. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you're not asking everyone, you're asking the market that you've already identified. So if 30% of those people aren't going, I'd be really disappointed if this product disappeared on me, then that's an indication that you'll probably pushing water uphill or maybe you're you know maybe you're flogging a dead horse so i think it's a really good time to go back and to ask those questions really examine what it is that you're doing for customers uh, currently and how valuable that is and what you're not doing for customers that they consider to be important or valuable yeah right and so in the startup space like it's kind of the same as it was before but there's a, but but it's like now everybody is a startup almost. Is that kind of how you're seeing it? Like because yeah. startups, they always have a hard time. <laughs> is yeah. it just as hard? Is it like a bit easier now? Like you know, like what? Like, but how has it changed for startups? Oh, it's harder for startups. You know, I think this is going to be um, this is a very very difficult time for startups because, um, you know, the advice that most of them are getting from uh, from investors is that they need to be managing their cash burn rate or their runway and they need to be scenario planning to the end of next year in the expectation that there will be no more money. So whatever you've got to work with, you need to make it work until the end of next year. Now that may be a totally worst case scenario, yep. uh, but that is the, that's kind of the advice that's coming out of the top tier venture capital firms and, and, and advisors, which is you need to expect and plan for that scenario. And if things get better, that's great. Thanks for sharing. Um, and that's great. Um, information, I think from um, the rest of the companies out there that have got past the startup stage where the majority of them 
now have potentially a service or a product um, that is that is just not in demand anymore. That is not like at all relevant anymore. And that just happened overnight, right? And so, like you suggested before, um, to, that basically all um, our businesses should take the startup approach. Yeah, is that right? Like, like is that what you were kind of well? Like, no, I'm not to saying all about... businesses. Yeah, I'm not saying all businesses should take a startup approach. But what I am saying is there are things to be learnt from the startup community that are relevant for these other businesses the and some of them, fit conversation yeah and some of those businesses will essentially be starting over um, because what they've been doing uh, there is no longer a market for it or that market is much diminished and so you know classically um, you know in startups they call that maneuver a pivot um, it's just a fancy word for going there's opportunity someone's moved my cheese where do I need to go now and um, and we've seen examples of that in in small businesses who have gone from making uh, artisanal gin to making hand sanitizer, for example. Yeah. So you know, and there's lots of examples of people go people going, aha! So here's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Not that alcohol, as it turns out, is um, a dying business <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> it's not at all, is it? Uh, but but still, there is there's a need that's been identified, and there's yeah. some expertise and some resources that could be turned to address that need. And so I think being highly adaptable in the way that we think, being agile in our thinking, flexible in our thinking. Uh, you know, there's businesses that are all of a sudden creating um, uh, personal protective equipment yeah. or screens for supermarkets and uh, and for your barista to work behind uh, that they weren't in that screen business before there wasn't a screen business. And so, yeah, I think, you know, you can look around and you can probably see uh, opportunities for new products or maybe to, to refocus your business on an entirely new area. Yeah. 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 For sure. I think like I was having this conversation the other day um, with someone um, with Noah Kagan actually. And um, we were just saying like that, we're currently in the pro- like the economy is pretty tough right now and it's in a state of contraction. So there's less money that's going around. And so that money that's actually left over, there's a fight for it. Right. And so not every business is going to make it through this because they can't, because there's just the spending is less. Yep. The government subsidies are going some way to help in the next say four or five months. But at the end of that, there's going to be a, like a massive cliff for the, that we'll see how that kind of, turns out but what is some advice that kind of like um what's some advice that would you would give to businesses on how they can can be one of the survivors you know because not everyone can yeah totally so um and i've heard that um from a number of investors and family officers who are all saying that competition capital is fierce Mm. And for a lot of people who are professional investors, what they're doing first is they're looking after their existing portfolio. So if they've already invested in companies, they're going to do in their best judgment what they think is going to uh, uh, take care of those initial investments. If, if you're a small business, that's different because you probably haven't taken investment in the same way, but you might have loans from the bank and they may be secured against your house and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, So, look, my advice is, and we've touched on this before, my advice is that the best way to navigate 
all of this is to focus on customers. You've got to look at, you know, you've got to deeply understand your customers, what's changed for them, what's, shift, what's shifted for them, what's valuable to them, um, what problems that they have, what pain points they have, what triggers and drivers they have that, um, that you can work with. And, um, you know, and a lot of those things, some of those things may not have changed, some of those things may have changed in a, in a kind of a, a, a very significant way. Mm-hmm. So understanding that is, I would say, is the number one thing. The second thing is look after your people. So if you're a sole trader, you've got to look after yourself. <laughs> Um, if you're a small business with five employees, then five or 10 employees, you need to look after those people. You've hired them for a reason. Um, you've decided to keep them for a reason. They're valuable. They provide leverage in the business and you need to be getting the best out of those people in order for you to have the best chance of being successful. And as a result of those first two things, you're in a better position to sort of reconsider your products or your services. So now you've got good data and understanding of customer needs. You've got a team or yourself who is being well-managed. Um, you're in a position to make important decisions around products. Um, and if you get those things right, then you've got a you know, better than most chance of that turning into some kind of traction and success. Um, but, you know, this is a crisis and not everyone behaves well and thinks well and makes good decisions in a crisis. And so that, that whole thing about taking care of people, taking care of yourself is, um, is really significant. That's not about just kind of being nice self. That's about operating at something like your best um, because you just don't want to be making more, you don't want to be making poor decisions at the point. You want to try and be making really good ones. Um. Yeah, that's super advice. Um, what time frame are you suggesting these things happen in? You know, because I know there's like quite a lot of companies that that the thought of that process is so big because they um, the company that they had kind of kind of um, kind of at the start the start of this uh, um, uh, crisis but is completely different to what it should be now. Right. And so there's this conversation of, is it better to just wait a bit more and see like, you know, how far should I be doing this? Like, you know, and so what would you say to that side of things? You know, Look, one of the things that was true before the, before this COVID-19 virus and, um, and I think will remain true is that the world's getting faster and, um, and right now, the you know we're confronted by that in you know in a very unfortunate way. But there's a there's a an expression that says it's it's no longer the the big that eat the small, it's the fast that eat the slow. And um, and so the answer to your question is when should this start hap- happening? It should already have started happening. And for a lot of businesses that I know, it started a month ago. You know, the, at the at the early signs of this. Um, making good decisions and making them quickly um, is part of what you need to do in order to manage a business well in even in the best of times, but certainly in the worst of times. So, um, you know, it's not a, it's not a good time to procrastinate. Mm. It's um, it's a good time to uh, think things through and make decisions and then, um, act on those decisions 
you know, now. So I wouldn't be, you know, I, I don't think anyone is sitting there um, thinking, oh, look, I'll just ride it out. I reckon it's going to be okay again in a week or a month. And I'll just kind of suck it up and see what happens. I don't think that's good practice. I think w what is good practice is, as we've said, is, you know, take this opportunity to, to understand what's happening to your customers and what matters to them. Figure out if there's other problems you can solve for them. Look after yourself, look after your people, and then make some decisions around are there, you know, are you actually going to develop products or services to satisfy those needs that you've identified? And if you're going to do that, get on with it. And if you are going to do that and get on with it, then get on with it in a way that, again, is disciplined. So test, the, the develop something, test, learn, iterate. You know, don't bet the farm on a harebrained scheme. It's like a one degree shift from what you're doing, um, but apply some, some real discipline around this. You know, you've got a hypothesis. I understand my customers. I've got an hypothesis. I'm going to try this out in a small way. Do it quickly. I'm going to see and learn. I'm going to gather some more information and data and feedback out of that. I'm going to tweak it a bit and do it again. And if it turns out at some point that it was just a really bad idea, then you can just cut it off and come up with another one. Yeah, I think, um, um, I think the companies that are going to struggle the most are the ones that are um, the least open to change or the most resistant to change. And I think that's more from kind of their structures, their products and um, their internal cultures, but it still has to happen. Like it can't not mm. happen. I mean, that's just an extra challenge to have to face. I think you seem to maybe um, kind of have um, like a lot of people um, and organizations kind of um, who you speak with that are in the digital space that are already kind of that way. But there's, like, there's also quite a lot that are kind of stuck outside of the digital space. So what do you do like, if you're out of that space? Like, like, and you have to now say, well, you know, I can't advertise outside anymore. Like, like I can't, I can't like, deliver um, my product anymore like, in the way that I did before. And I now need to move to digital. Like, how do you advise a company like that to move to digital? You know, so what would you say um, to somebody like that? I think the principles are still the same, Alex. And so for sure, I mean, I spend more time with companies that are technology driven or, or, or they're delivered digitally. Um, but I'm working with a company now, which is a, it's an advanced manufacturing company. Okay. So they're, they're working, half their team is working remotely. Half their team is on site because the wow. nature of what they do, they have to right. be in the building. They're working with, you know, expensive and, highly calibrated physical manufacturing equipment. They, they can't do what they do unless people are, um, are in the building. Um, but the principles in that case are, are the same ones that we've been talking about, which is now is a time for real focus. And that yeah. focus has to be not a focus on what you want to do or what you hope might happen or on what has worked before. So it's not that those things aren't of any value, mm -hmm. but that you need to recognize them for what they are. Your focus should be on what are the customer needs now and what are the best opportunities now and what are the biggest problems uh, that customers have now. And then 
are we equipped and do we have the capability or the capacity or could we develop it to solve those problems? Um, and so, again, it doesn't matter whether you're digital or analogue. I think those, um, those principles still hold. So in the case mm. of this particular yep. company, we're, we're, um, you know, we're looking at the strategy for the company and in particular we're looking at the, the, the sectors of the market where we absolutely need to focus. And we learned this with Sendl early on. You know, Sendl now is... It's a technology company, but it's a delivery business. And in the beginning, you know, we, we first developed a marketplace, a two-sided marketplace for sharing things that were still useful. Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, I've set of these coffee cups. I don't use them anymore, so I'd like to give them away. I'm not going to try and sell them. I'm just going to try and give them away. I'd be happy if they went to another home because otherwise they'll just end up in landfill, which is what happens about 95% of the time. Yeah, definitely. So we built a marketplace to do that. And then um, Sendl was born out of the requirement that people have 30% of the time to um, send this thing they wanted to share to someone else. So if you and I live in the same neighbourhood, if we both live in Newtown in Sydney, mm -hmm. then I could post this and you would go, hey, I really like those. Can I have them? And I'd say, yeah, sure. Swing by and pick them up. But if I'm in Newtown and you're in St Kilda in Melbourne, mm. Uh, there's a lot of friction in that. And am I, I'm just trying to share it and give it away to you. Am I going to go to the post office and wrap it up and pay to ship it? And then you're going to send me the money for the shipping and, you know, what a kerfuffle. And mm -hmm. so Sender was born out of all that friction. And, sure. uh, and it took us a long time to figure out exactly who the service was for because we came from this marketplace where essentially it was consumers sharing things with other consumers. But that wasn't really the opportunity for Sendle. So even though that's where it started, the opportunity was consumers send things once or twice a year. Small businesses send things 10 times a month, 20 times a month, 100 times a month. So for a bunch of quite smart people, it took us a long time to figure out that the opportunity <laughs> was in the small business space and everything looks, you know, obvious in hindsight. Um, and it took, it took us a long time to get there. So, you know, that's an example of um, really thinking about what to focus on. And who do you service now? Small businesses. Small businesses and specialise with the commerce transactions or is it yeah, basically I mean, some, across some of them the are people are, Some of these people are, have got a, you know, they've got a corporate job and a side hustle and they're selling things on eBay. Yep. Um, uh, or there might be, uh, they might have a Shopify store that they've set up. Um, they might be just selling stuff, um, you know, drop shipping and, and putting stuff on Gumtree, um, all the way through to more sophisticated businesses that have got, you know, a real brand and they've got a, a classy shop front and they've got a whole yeah. story and maybe yeah. they've, they've had a hand in the, in the formula or the making of the product. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what we're clear on now is who we're for and who we're not for. And I think that's part of what we're talking about here. Strategy is about making choices and about deciding what to do and, by definition, what not to do. And yes. now's the time to be really figuring out what not to do in order to focus your more limited resources for most businesses on the things that you need to do and do brilliantly. And if ever there was a time to, to, you know, there's a disproportionate level of reward about solving problems brilliantly. Like if you solve a problem just kind of well, yeah. that's great. Um, but it's not good enough to generate 
a real flywheel effect and word of mouth and and kind of virality in the business. Yeah. Um, you need to solve problems brilliantly. And when you do, people will go, hey, Alex, I just discovered this thing. It's so amazing. You must yeah, try it. You must right? try it out. Yeah. And, and that's like the oldest marketing trick in the book, except it's not a trick. Yeah. You, you can't pay to make that happen, not efficiently. You have to do the work on the product end. And to do the work on the product end, we're right back to understanding customers. It's interesting, like it's such a fantastic point because um, today, uh, like in the COVID-19 world, you can't create a need and then try to fill it. You know, that was, you know, a couple of months ago, right? It's like, hey, look, I've got this thing. I'm going to have to create the need first. Then I'm going to have to fill the need. Now you just need to fill actual needs. You know, like you just have to understand this. I think this comes back to your point, um, which is speak to your customers, speak mm. to the market, actually understand, you know, it's what are the real pain points and then try to solve them because then you don't even really have to sell that much to sell mm. it because there's the pent up demand for the solution. Yeah. And I think that's what you've been kind of, um, kind of explaining over this, um, this podcast is that you just, you kind of have to just like to understand it, to, to understand your customers at a level that you may not have done before or that you may have done, but it's now shifted. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally right. And, you know, listening as simple as this sounds, listening in all its forms, observing in all its forms, paying attention in all its forms has never been a more valuable skill right now. Because again, because we're all slightly arced up because there's, because of this crisis, because all of us to some extent are emotionally impacted by this. You know, I, I was reading this guy called David Kessler, who's one of the co-authors of the five stages of grief, which is, you know, now a pretty well understood framework around grief counseling and yeah. in psychology. And he's just written a new book and he was talking about in this interview, I think it was Harvard business review. He was talking about how um, anxiety doesn't really do justice to what everyone's feeling currently. So, of course, anxiety in a clinical sense exists as it did before COVID. But he said it's not quite the right word for what many of us are feeling most of the time now. And he said, I think it's kind of, uh, and he called it anticipatory grief. He said, we, are, we have this expectation that even if nothing terrible has happened yet, that it will, and it's already happening in a health sense to, to many other people um, and, and in a business sense to many other businesses, or if not in my business, in this market, in other businesses, in other markets and so on. And he said, you know, all that has us, we're all kind of on edge. We're all a bit jangly around that. Um, and so just understanding that's really important because what that will do is going to affect the way that you hear things from customers to go right back yeah. to customers. It's going yeah. to affect the way that you look at data if you have data around your customers and their behaviors. And so um, being aware of it and then trying to bring some real clarity to it um, and so that you're not just hunting around for things that confirm your own viewpoint, that you're actually open to looking at what's, what's really happening. There's a thing in startups that says that, you know, most, most startups fail, like 97% of startups fail. Right. Um, and, and two of the biggest reasons are unexamined assumptions. 
people go, I know what the answer is. And just, you know, and I've done this myself <laughs> yeah. at yeah, great yeah. expense. Yeah. Um, I can see what the problem is. I know the answer. I'm going for it. That's essentially an unexamined assumption. Or you, you I think we've all done that, by the way. I've done that yeah. so many times. I think with age, yeah. Yeah. you realize, wait, just go a little bit slower. Yeah. Ask yeah. a few more questions. Yeah. Save yourself two years of pain. Yeah. You know? And ask the right people. Don't ask yeah. people that you kind of know are going to say nice things. Right. That's a, that's a great idea, Alex. You always have great ideas. That's not useful feedback. Um, you want the tough and critical feedback. Uh, and the other reason is unconscious bias. So we are, you know, we're hunting around to confirm our own suspicions. And those are very dangerous practices now. And that's sort of my point. Like, you know, yeah, great. To, and that comes all the way back to self-care and looking after your team. You do not want to be operating in that jangly, heightened state where you're not really listening and you're not really observing. Um, Which is hard sometimes when you're going through something so significant as what we're going through right now to keep that level head, to keep that um, the right kind of thinking. But I think that comes to your point to look after yourself first. So yeah. what are some kind of tips or something like that or advice on like, how do you look after yourself right now? You know, so what are some of the things you like, would you do, you know? Uh, so the guy, I'm right into this for a variety of reasons that we probably don't have time to go into, but, um, uh, but I spent a large part of my professional life with only one real strategy, which is, you know, I need to just work harder than everybody else. Yep. And because there's other people who are smarter or more talented or whatever. And so the way that I need to compete with that and succeed in that environment is just to work harder. And um, that kind of, that's okay as a strategy for a time. And after a while though, that comes at quite a significant cost to health, both mental and physical and spiritual and to relationships uh, and to a few other things. And so I was, you know, propping myself up on a whole bunch of stuff, which wasn't particularly healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I learned, uh, I learned the consequences of that kind of brutish strategy uh, a few times over and quite painfully. And so um, some years ago went, there's got to be a better way of operating in the world and not trading off ambition, but um, figuring out what actually is supportive and sustainable. And so, uh, you know, exercise is important. Nutrition is important. Sleep is important. Mm. Um, and then uh, developing practices that help with emotional intelligence are important. Practices like that help. Well, meditation what? is one. Okay. Um, mindfulness and meditation, just any form of attention training. Mm-hmm. Um, because that will help build self-awareness and, and neurologically it ch- starts to change the way your brain is functioning mm. and over time, even the structure of your brain, um, uh, self-management. So how you work with your emotions, how you regulate those, you know, when you, you know, how you handle triggers some strategies around that when things are, uh, are triggering for you. Uh, oh. I think it's tools like, um, journaling is a is a really powerful tool around that sure. uh examining your motivations for it too right yeah totally so, yeah, totally yeah. 
And, you know, without getting, getting, you know, right into the weeds on this, but, but understanding your own motivations and values and your sense of purpose is really important. And I know this is surfacing a lot for people now because wow. it is a crisis yeah. and they're going, why, what am I doing? Why am I even doing this? How important is this to me? Yeah. Is this what I want to be doing with my life right now? And, uh, and for some people, that's an easy, like, yes, absolutely. Hell yeah. I love this. This is exactly what I want to be doing. And for other people, it's like, yeah, well, actually I've always wanted to be a stand up comedian or I've always wanted to, you know, I bought um, a Udemy course. Like I think I bought one on singing. I bought one on guitar. I've bought a right. bunch of them cause it was a sale. Obviously they got a sale yeah. on, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. That's what I hear. Yeah. And the, the whole notion of, you know, we, we live in a culture often where the idea of looking after yourself is kind of considered somehow, uh, you know, a flaw or a weakness. Uh, you're not, you know, you're not made of tough enough stuff. Um, and we often think we just need to row harder, you know, mm. like we're in a, some kind of galley ship. Um, but actually looking after yourself is a smart strategy. And, I, you know, again, I've just, I've learned this the hard way. You have to take care of yourself. Um, you know, my wife is a nurse and she has to deal with some pretty confronting stuff. And, you know, she's just now by default just goes, I need to, I need to take the dog for a walk. You know, yeah. I need to Space. go to the beach and have a swim. I, you know, if I, if I don't take care of myself, I can't take care of other people. And uh, I think that it applies more broadly. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people, customers, employees, investors, if you have them and yeah. so on. I think, yeah, like I think there's, like again, some, some super points. I, I'm also of um, the perspective that I'm not the smartest and I'm not the best, but I can outwork everyone. But if I just work 24 seven and I think I did that for most of my twenties, half my thirties. And I think as you get older, you have a bit less energy. Um, but you, but then you have a lot more kind of responsibility because like you've achieved something after that amount of work. And, mm. and so I think, um, the work ethics critically important. Um, I think on the other side of it now with the crisis with like, like if you're at home, you need to find some structure, um, and to be like disciplined. And I've started, to work in the morning from half past five until three and I right. just stop at three and it's very, very difficult. And then I might, you know, like start again, like at seven, like I've checked some emails and some slacks or whatever, but like, like I really try to be extremely productive, like to work at um, the peak of my ability, but to stop and then to walk and then to move because I realized very quickly, like on in this pandemic that there were a couple of days where I only stood three times the whole day and I went to bed like, cause I got the couch, the kitchen bathroom and I drove um, to get my coffee. And I was like, wait, this is, this is very, very, um, um, this is extremely risky right now because like, if I'm not as healthy as I can be as structured as I can be, and if I don't have space, then I won't be the leader that I need to be to ensure that, you know, we, we, kind of survive this thing and hopefully thrive. And so, yeah, like I can, I totally kind of hear you on that side of it. And it's really, really challenging to find that balance. Um, it really is. One last question. Um, and this is, I think the hardest one people, are, well, um, professionals are trying to face, especially if they're achieving success is how do you celebrate success right now? Right? Cause everyone, 
but because I already have like quite a few people that are saying, Hey, we shouldn't be marketing right now. We should be because of actually how bad all of this stuff in the world is. And I'm of the opinion that we need to market to ensure our staff stay employed. And so the government isn't the only answer out of all this, but then if you succeed, and you want to celebrate it. How do you celebrate in this environment, right? When it's kind of difficult, but it is really important to celebrate the small wins because otherwise we all just kind of end up just being depressed. Right. But how do you approach that? Cause you want to, yeah. Like I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. I, it's a, it's an excellent question, Alex. I think we, we need to be, we need to watch out for our natural disposition. So, um, and what I mean by that is we kind of hardwired towards the negative. We're all in, as a species, we're, uh, we're inclined towards the negative. There's a, there's a great, um, there's a guy called Rick Hansen, who's a, a, a very accomplished psychologist who, who's, his life works around this space. And he got this great expression that says we are Velcro for bad and Teflon for good. And, so uh, and, you know, he says that roughly about, um, you know, we, we hang on to bad experiences about five times more than we do to good ones. And the way that you should compensate that. And he said, that's, that's all rooted in our, um, in our kind of ancient brain that was, mm-hmm. you know, is, is still configured for saber tooth tigers and other um, kind of marauding man-eating <laughs> animals. <laughs> and now we're dealing with, you know, Slack messages and emails. Um, <laughs> but what he would say is, you know, we need to be, um, we need to make a very deliberate effort to open ourselves up to those good experiences, or these things, these sense of achievements, these wins, these successes, um, and, and very definitely kind of drink them in and let them kind of settle in us. And so, you know, he argues that within, I think he, he talks about 15 or, or 20 seconds, if you kind of just sit with it, and it could be as simple as a compliment, like those glasses look great on you. <laughs> um, or it could be, hey, we Thank just... Thank you, Craig. <laughs> total pleasure. Thanks. We should pause now for 20 seconds while we just <laughs> bathe in that. Yeah. Um, or it could be a, you know, a win in the business of some kind that, that we do need to take the time to recognize that and appreciate that and go, Hey, we did great. Or I did great. We did great, whatever it is. Um, and so that's hard now because we're all working remotely and it's a bit trickier on zoom, but still, you know, um, it's not that hard to set things up and go, Hey, it's Friday, four o'clock, put on a funny hat and let's get yourself a, a drink, a cup of tea or a, or a cocktail, whatever suits you. And uh, we'll gather around the Zoom table and we'll talk about um, the things that went right this week. Or even, you know, there's a nice simple framework about good, bad and ugly, which um, I'm pretty used to now and gets used a lot with um, uh, in startup accelerators, which is, you know, what was good this week, uh, what wasn't, what was bad. And what's ugly, what's really hard, what's really challenging. Mm. And it's a way to surface all these things and it, it's healthy. Um, and actually one of the things, you know, I think one of the, the assumptions around remote working is that some of these connections start to unravel. But actually, um, and I've noticed this in calls too, I think in, in a way people are a little more open and honest yeah. than, and pay attention, listen a bit harder when you're coming through this sort of channel, this remote working channel, then yeah. if you're just sitting around a table in the office where it's one meeting after another, yeah. 
and people can often drift in and out of those meetings and not pay attention. So, um, yeah, just some simple new rituals, rituals for remote working. Yeah. Um, are great. We, I mean, just as an aside, Sendel has been a remote company from day one. So from the very, very beginning, our dev team, they're all onshore in Australia, but they're scattered from Adelaide to Hobart yeah. to Byron Bay. Uh, yeah. The support team um, is is remote. There's there's no kind of headquarters, really. Yeah. There's, there's in Glebe on a, there might be a dozen people in Glebe on any given day, but most of the company is scattered around the planet and working remotely. And so I think uh, it took a bit of getting used to and it's, it took a bit of design, uh, but celebrating things is something, you know, we have, they're called assemblies. We have assemblies and part of the agenda in an assembly is, is to talk about some, some of the good things that have happened. So you just, you just need to, to ritualize these things. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, it's really challenging time right now for a lot of organizations, mm -hmm. you know, to say the least, you know, I think, um, um, what I think is good maybe to end on, um, is just like, it's okay to win right now. Like I, like I think there's like, well, it seems from, from some of the conversations, not from all of the conversations, but from like enough of them, there's a guilt to winning right now. There's a guilt to doing well, you know, just when there's a pandemic happening, right? Um, and what would you say to that point? Because I know I have very strong opinions, but I'd love to know, you know, the kind of yeah, the advice on how do you kind of handle that guilt of succeeding in an environment like this, especially when other people around you are saying, well, how come that's happening right now? You know, yeah. you shouldn't be doing that. I think, look, inspiration is really important. And let's not forget that people, and I'm assuming that the, the people who are, watching this, uh, you know, they're in businesses and, um, yes. and people who start businesses over index on optimism, positivity, um, openness, um, kind of breadth of interests and other stuff too, like, you know, bipolar disorder and ADHD, but it, they, they kind of come together because, uh, those are important qualities in order to be an entrepreneur, in order, in order to be uh, someone who starts a business and leads a business and wants that business to be successful. They're really important things. And so back to your question about success and guilt right now, I think, um, I think there's sort of a, a responsibility that if you're, if you're lucky enough to be kind of winning or, or having some success at the moment to share that with great humility and in the context of obviously a world that's very troubled and chaotic and, and in crisis. But, but that's inspiring for all those other people who yeah. are much, much as you are, those things, positive, optimistic, mm. uh, curious. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of important, I think, that people can see that it's still possible to be successful, that everyone is not totally overwhelmed, not everything is going south, um, that there are, um, uh, there are examples of, of businesses and people that are doing really well in this, that, that, that inspiration is an important service, I think, to other people. So share it. Uh, you know, and share it with the people that are uh, immediately involved with it that you're working with and then and find a way to share it um, that's not annoying 
but yep. um, beyond. Uh, you know, I think that that's, it's important for all of us that we can see bits of that. Great. I think that's a fantastic point um, to finish this podcast on. Thank you so much, Craig. Um, this has been a fantastic uh, Zoom chat. I've been having so many of them these days. I'm sure so have you for your whole life. Um, Sendal.com. Um, so if you need some shipping done, um, then go to Sendal.com. Um, uh, that's highly recommended. So again, uh, thank you so much and um, have a good day. And you. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for the chat. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. For more episodes, please visit growthmanifesto.com forward slash podcast.